Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spech. Hello. Well, we're going to start this week off with a sad, sad note. Yes. Uh, the passing of my dog, Hunter. Uh, we had him for almost 13 years. He was a great canoe dog, hiking dog, camping dog, went everywhere with us. And uh, yeah, apparently he's just got old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know he had a couple of the little... Little issues we he was on medication for, but uh, yeah, he, he had enough, unfortunately, and uh, he's no longer with us. It's, it's uh, tough to lose your fur babies. You know what? It really is. It's it's um, he, he came to us unexpectedly. Yeah. I uh, went to the pound one day. I used to go look at the pound, see the big dogs there just to get a, a dog fix because our previous dog had passed away before we moved uh, out to Ajax here. And um yeah, I'd go out there every so often because there wasn't one. There's there's a pound just around the corner from my work, mm-hmm. so I'd I'd check in every so often, just go take a peek at the dogs and all that sort of stuff. And uh, one day they had a puppy sitting there, and I'm like, "Well, this is odd," because all it always seems to be older dogs, right? Yeah. And uh, with two little kids, I wasn't going to get an older dog. Yeah. You know, that's going to pass away in two years, sort of thing. So yeah, I called my wife and said, "Get out here quick. There's a dog I want you to see." When you have an eight and a nine year old, and they see a four month old puppy, <laughs> it's sold. It's <laughs> just slap a sold sticker on that dog and let's go. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Hunter, his his name was actually Ajax. Oh yeah, which is a good name for a dog if you don't live in Ajax. In Ajax. <laughs> <laughs> so I was not allowed to call him Booger or anything like that. Uh, so his name became Hunter. And uh, yeah, you know what? He loved the outdoors. He's he was a catamaner, part Catalhula leopard dog, part Weimaraner. Um, loved to, to, to run out in the woods and stuff like that. Always had his nose to the yeah. ground, had the big puppy, the big hunter, uh, hound dog ears and long legs mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. So loved the canoe, loved swimming, uh, loved camping, everything. Absolutely loved it. So unfortunately it's, uh, part of it when you own a, a pet like that, eventually there comes a time that, uh. They get old and they don't live as long as the rest of us do. So. Exactly, yeah. And unfortunately, that is uh, that was our our weekend last weekend. And uh, did we we kept him? We took him in for a consult on the Friday, and she says it's nothing else you can do. Mm-hmm. You know, you can throw all the money you want, but there, he's old. There, there's nothing you can do, and it's time. So we took him home for the the Friday night and had our last night at him. Now he had food allergies. Okay. So he's never allowed to have beef. Mm-hmm. Right. So his last night he had a couple of hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your wife was telling yeah. me about that. Yeah. He just, <laughs> he throw, just gobbled throw them some down. Burgers. Yeah. He's never had the burgers. And, uh, yeah. You know, it's like I say, I mean, if you, you have an animal, you, you do what you do to, you know, if it means you got to have special diets and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff and that's what you do. So, but yeah, we sent him off with, uh, burgers and ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> and nice. That sort of stuff. So. Yeah, it's been, like I say, it's been a, a sad, uh, bit of a sad week here in the household and uh, we're slowly, you know, getting by and a couple of brain farts going on this week and stuff yeah. like that, just not paying attention to a few things. And it's always, like I say, the little things that you miss, right? Yeah. Um, like, I mean, I'm sure when you walked in tonight, not no, having- Normally the, he greets me. Greets you and the, the tail banging against yeah. the couch or yeah. the chair or something like that, right? So we've been uh, going f- through with that for the last, uh, last week almost a week and uh yeah it's well like i say it'll 
it, it gets better with time, but yep. uh, for now we're all just like I say, big sad family right now. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, um, what else is happening here? Well, what's new with you? Anything? Because uh, you know I got to ask that question. <laughs> yes, and now I have to plan ahead. Now I got to plan the ahead. question. Three weeks. <laughs> Three weeks from now, he's going to ask me that question. Well, let me tell you this. Yes. So we had a listener, Clyde, sent me a message. Okay. An email. Uh, listening to our our message about the Grand Canyon and stuff like that. Turned 100 years old there on our last uh, yep. last week's episode there. And uh, so he said, yeah, you know what? I, I did a, him and his daughter did a trip, a hike through the Grand Canyon, South Rim. They did a, a trip there. There's the trails that you can take. And there's a little spot you can get down to and you can see the Colorado River and all that. Uh, he's got Facebook uh, or, uh, he's got a website. I think it's Clyde, Clyde outside, something like that. Uh, but yeah, he's got a, a YouTube channel that he posts his videos on. And there was a, this video that he did of, of, uh, the hike in, in Grand Canyon. So if you're thinking about going on a hike or a paddle trip, even to the Grand Canyon, I posted his, uh, a link to his video on our Facebook page and you can check it out. At least you can see the, um, the, uh, landscape you'll be going through if you did indeed hit the Colorado River and go through. I mean, even the the, the hike itself, the, just the landscape is phenomenal. Yeah. So check that out on our Facebook page and uh, give it a like. And like I said, he he used to live in Ajax here. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, so he used to go to Algonquin Light. I know his his site uh, has a bunch of um, trip logs and stuff from Algonquin as well. His, uh, so he's, he, like I say, he's got a bunch of, uh, videos and stuff to check out. So go to our Facebook page and, uh, check out his video link there and, uh, see what the Grand Canyon looks like. Uh, you were talking about something about MKC. He's got some deals on right now. Yes. Uh, so I've, I've, I mean, you take courses through them. They, uh, keep sending you emails and updates and trying to sell you more stuff and yada, yada, yada. But, uh, they do have a, uh. A spring whitewater course special. So for the month of May, any five-day course is $200 off. Hey, I like that. Yeah. 200 bucks in your pocket. And, and that's, a, that's a big chunk. That's a good percentage. Like uh, a typical five-day course is what, uh, depending on what the course is, like what is it, like five or 800 bucks yeah. or something? So it's, five it's or a, 800, that's, yeah. that's a huge savings. Yeah. Well, like you say, 200 bucks is 200 bucks in your pocket. Yeah, right? I mean, exactly. That's, that's cool. So, so yeah, if you're looking to do some whitewater stuff, mm-hmm. uh, some courses and stuff like that, check out uh, Madawaska Canoe Center and they've got some deals on right now. If you're looking to start your paddling season right exactly yeah it, and you know it's a good opportunity to uh, either refresh uh you know skills that are getting stale or learn new skills and i've uh, i've taken two whitewater courses through mkc now i've done a whitewater kayaking course it was a week long or a five-day course i've done a it was an extended long weekend course we had a customized for us normally they do a two-day course and we ended up with a three-day course and it was a whitewater canoe course and uh, so we, the guys that I went with, we've uh, we paddled the Des Moines River. Uh, what was that last year? I did the Des Moines. Yeah, 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 because you, yeah, yeah, you guys came off the Des Moines and uh, headed up to uh, oh Moose, the Moose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, it, and it's I think it's a really great way to refresh skills or learn new skills. And it's uh, MKC is uh, it's quite the facility. You know, and you can there's uh, campsites where you can camp, and there's uh, you can stay in the bunkhouse or the main lodge has some rooms. And it's a it's a nice location, good people. So it's uh, it's a uh, well worth taking a course there. And it's such a nice controlled environment. Their uh, their whitewater training course. It's uh, so they've made arrangements with Ontario Power Generation to uh, have scheduled water releases, and uh, so the their headwater is a is a holding you know, is a holding pond or holding lake, and uh, so they open the uh, sluice gates at like 8 a.m. and close them at like three or four in the afternoon, and so you have a consistent water flow because it's a it's a metered outflow. Right. And uh, and it's weird. Like uh, after supper, when we're on the course, we uh, walk down to the uh, water's edge, and you can. For, so in the daytime, it's like loud, and you know you see the big rollers and all that stuff, and you can see all the gates that you can paddle through. Then you go down there after supper, and it's like it's just a trickle flow, right? You can <laughs> they've shut it off. <laughs> well, there's still some flow, but it's not a lot. Yeah. And uh, so it's it's totally different. It's it's like a completely different river. So it's kind of cool to see that they have they've made this agreement and have agreement and has these uh, controlled flows. Well, that works pretty well, cool. Yeah, uh, they also do wilderness <clears throat> first aid courses and river. Blah, 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 let me speak here. River rescue yes. courses as well, which are are pretty cool. Um, and those courses are handy. Like the, say, for example. Uh, you're going to go out west and do the Nahani or the Mountain River or something like that. And so as somebody, like for me, if I was organizing a, a larger trip like that, so then there's could be some serious consequences in your remote, it's like it's a good idea to have a couple people or all the people in, in your group learn some of these backcountry or these uh, remote, you know, you learn you learn your wilderness first aid courses and stuff like that. So you can, you want to be able to help yourself in, in you know, in case it's not so serious that you need a rescue, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's, it's a handy thing to have if you're going to do one of these remote cor- uh, trips. Trips, yeah. Uh, and I'm looking at their site here and uh, we are very proud of Claudia, owner of MKC, whose lifelong dedication to paddling communities around the world is being celebrated by the World Paddle Awards, she's got the Lifetime Achievement Award. Yes, which yeah, is that was pretty cool. Two weeks ago or something, I think. Yeah, it was yeah. recently. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, good for her. Um, yeah, so yeah, check out uh, MKC if you're looking to uh, uh, get some stuff. Yeah, two hundred bucks off all May five day courses. Do that now. There are people now starting to get into paddling already. Um. I know down southern Ontario, the water's already running. Farther north, it's not. Yes, it's yeah. still frozen. <laughs> so, so if you're on the lakes of northern Ontario <laughs> and you're sitting there. Because you know, <laughs> there's still ice. Because there's still ice. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're we're talking about spring paddling here. Uh, we've got to do our little, our yearly safety message. Yes. And tonight's the night. Yeah. We're going to do our yearly safety <laughs> message. Uh, we do these sort of things every year. It's, it's got to, you know, it just reminds people. It's that time of year. It's spring. Uh, with the warmer temps comes thin ice, melt water, and fast-moving rivers. You know, the the ice isn't as thick as you think yeah, it is at all spots. It's thinning. It's just, what do they call it? They don't call it rotting, but it's, uh, the ice is. Uh, I call it melting. Well, but there's, it could be still <laughs> thick. It'll look thick. But it's a very granular ice, so it's not it's not stable ice. Yeah, it, you don't want to be yeah. on it. 
You don't yeah. want to be on it. I get a kick out of every year, the people that are in there out ice fishing on Lake Simcoe. <laughs> well, we didn't know it was going to, what do you mean you didn't know it was yeah. going to break, melt? Like, <sighs> whatever. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think that's just Darwin Awards. Yeah, exactly. Being yeah. ready to yeah. hand out, so. Well, my truck fell through. I wonder why that happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, you got to remember at this time of year, like, even though the water is running, it is very ice cold. Oh, yeah. Just grab a glass of water and throw a bunch of ice cubes in it for a while <laughs> and then stick your finger in. Yeah. Now picture that on a grander scale. Exactly. And your whole body yeah. in there, right? Stay off the ice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, in, unless you're like up like Moose and Iwi, I would think. Yeah. You know, like Hudson's Bayway. Uh, anywhere southern Ontario, mid to southern Ontario, everything's starting to get really sketchy. Yeah, it's super cold. You know, um, if you're going for a paddle, make sure you're in a group. Absolutely. Right. Strength and safety. Like I say, I've, I've seen pictures of people already putting out there and people asking, Hey, is anybody going out to Duffins Creek was just five minutes from my house here. Mm-hmm. Is anybody heading out to Duffins Creek to check it out? Cause there's a, there's a, a place that there's typically this log jam every year. Oh, okay. And, uh, so everybody wants to know, is it there this year or is somebody going to clean it out this year? Yeah. Or they, I think they just take a stick of dynamite, throw it in there, blow it all <laughs> to crap and be done with it once and for yeah. all. But no one, no one goes with me on that one. I think I'll need to speak to the new mayor. Yeah. Um, make sure you're wearing proper gear, like a dry suit, paddling gloves, headgear, that sort of stuff. And, you know, yeah, like I say, it's it's cold. It's wet. You're going to mm-hmm. get wet. Yeah. Especially if you're in a kayak and yeah. you're flipping over stuff like that. I do notice there is a bit of an attitude difference between kayakers and canoers. Canoers? Canoers. You mean for like for spring paddling? For spring paddling. Uh, I do notice that the kayakers all tend to wear that protective gear. Yes. You know, like the full body yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Because I think they yeah. tend to go over a bit more. Yeah. With the, you know, they want to try the rolls and get exactly, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. But the canoe, canoers are more of the keep the open side up. Yeah. I'm not going over sort of thing. I'm, I'm not, not doing anything dumb. I'm not yeah. going to, yeah. And they tend to just go in regular they mm-hmm. wear like the heavier jackets and stuff yeah. like, to keep warm, yeah. like for warmth. But, but not for getting wet. But a lot of them don't wear the full gear in case mm-hmm. they're going to get wet. Yeah. You know, so um, I don't know anybody that's had that's been in a canoe in the spring or late fall that's actually gone over, knock on wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it happens. Yep, absolutely. And, you know. You, if you are going out, bring warm, dry clothes along in case you need a change of clothing and put those clothes in a dry bag. Absolutely. Make sure it's, it's, <laughs> you know, easy, accessible. Yeah. Uh, maybe attach it to your yoke or thwart or something like that, or, uh, stick it in, well, if you're in a kayak, you got the, yeah. the, the little bins there, the, Oh, storage spaces. Yes. Bins, whatever you want to yeah. call them. I'm having a... Uh, <laughs> Dry compartment, yeah. separate compartments, yeah. Whatever. I'm having a really long week. <laughs> Let's just put it that way, okay? Uh, be aware of and ready for th- hypothermia. Be aware of it. Be ready for it. And if be, you go over, yeah. be aware of it. Be ready for it. And be able to recognize the symptoms and signs. Yeah. If you're venturing away from a source of war- a source of warm shelter, like a cottage or a vehicle, your house, take appropriate equipment to build a fire. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Uh, you get to shore, build a fire. Throw those emergency clothes on that you have yeah. in the dry bag. Yeah. It could mean the difference between life and death, right? It's, uh, 
hypothermia is serious and it's uh, what people don't really contemplate or consider is the fact that uh, well yeah I'm going to be cold but no when you get hypothermia you your thought process your thinking changes you're you're slower and more sluggish to respond mentally and uh, you don't once you start getting hypothermia you become less capable of actually recognizing that you have hypothermia yeah yeah right bring an emergency kit which includes an emergency blanket that you can wrap around yourself because the first thing you're going to do is get out of your wet clothes if Mm -hmm. you don't have protective clothes throw that on get your fire going and all that right you want to stay warm that electric uh, emergency blanket is going to help that make sure people know where you're going in case you do not check in you want people to know, yeah, I'm, I'm going paddling up this river. I'm going out on Lake Ontario. I'm going Lake Superior, whatever. You want people to know where you are because if you don't sit, come back and they're like, well, I don't know where he went. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, especially this yeah. time of year. So, But and, that goes back to where one of our first ones saying, go in a group. Go in a group mm-hmm. at this time of year. Yeah. If you're paddling down rivers, uh, the melting ice and fast moving water will start to cause debris to move. So stuff that may have blown down over the winter sitting on the ice is now stuck in the water and it is now moving at a faster pace. Absolutely. Beware of logs, tree branches, and other debris which may pile up and become an obstacle in your path. Just because you're blocked by a debris field and not moving doesn't mean the fast water is blocked and not moving. It will capsize you if you are not careful. Yeah, and you're going to, it's any river that you're typically used to paddling or any stream or whatever you're on, the, the, the water flow and the characteristics are going to be hugely different between what you may used to be used to in summer to now with the higher flows and chunks of ice and trees moving. And it's, it's just the, you have to be really aware of your surroundings, especially in spring with breakup. Yeah. You got sweepers, which are like overhanging branches off the shore. You got to be careful of. Yeah. And you got strainers, which are exactly like sweepers, but underwater. underwater. <laughs> so if you go over, yeah. you know, you get caught in one of those uh, strainers underwater, they're going to tie you up, tangle you up, and you're not getting up. Yes. And that's where they find the bodies, unfortunately. Yeah. And it happens a lot. It does. It does. It does. My biggie, biggie, really biggie here is do not... Under any circumstances, go out on the water without wearing your PFD at this time of year. Or any time of year, really. Well, yes. But especially this time of year. Especially this time of year. People bring their PFDs during the summer and they, you know, they throw them on the, within reach or they sit on them, that sort of stuff. But the minute you dump into ice cold water at this time of year, the shock of it and the speed at which it affects you will severely hamper your ability to put that PDF on. Exactly. PFD. You you said PDF? I I always see PDF. (laughs) The document. Put the document on. (laughs) It will severely hamper your ability to put that PFD on. So wear it. This time of year, especially wear it. Mm -hmm. And if we see pictures of you guys out there having a great time on the water, oh, look, my early (laughs) paddling. And there's a picture of you without a PFD. Yeah. Trust me, you're going to hear it from a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Every year we yeah. see Facebook. Oh, look at that. Oh, man, they checked. They were the first ones out in the water this year. Oh, hey, where's your PFD? Yeah. Where's your PFD? No life jacket. What are you doing? What are you doing out there like that without it on? And as no one ought, at that point, no one's looking at the picture anymore. Yeah. They're zooming in the fact that you are not wearing yeah. your proper gear. Exactly. And then all of a sudden you're just like, ooh. 
So, spring paddlers, if you got all the gear, get out there. I know cabin fever sets in. Everybody yep. wants to get out there. Please be safe. Do it smart. Be Beware. Be paddle be with care. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> Beware. I'm paddles. sure I heard it somewhere before. Yeah, probably. Or maybe I made it up. <laughs> Shh, don't <laughs> tell anybody. I don't think I'm that smart. Maybe they won't know. <laughs> That's a good slogan you just made up on the spot, Derek. <laughs> I'm sure I heard it somewhere. <laughs> Um, so next on the list, we've been getting, we're, we're starting to get more emails every yes. week, yeah. a lot more. Yeah. Pretty soon this, we're not even going to have to do any research on shows. <laughs> People are just th throwing stuff on us, at us now. So last week's show, we talked about, uh, Fedor, uh, Konyakov. And I think he, I think it was, uh, Randy Mitson mentioned this guy. He said he's been following him. I think so. Well, hang, hang on. There's two people here. Mm -hmm. So I got a couple of emails this week about one guy I, I knew about, but I just haven't followed. I, yeah. I, I, I forgot, I, I, I forgot about him. And the other guy, I don't think I've ever heard of him. Okay. Which is, well, I'll, I'll get into that later. Uh, so yeah, so I had to look up one. Uh, and as an FYI, I know we were looking at some stuff about Fedor there, uh, Konyakov doing his Southern Hemisphere yes. thingy. And you said he got, he's behind schedule. So yeah. So last week, and it was kind of funny because uh, we had just finished talking about Fedor and we had discussed it. And then you said, uh, and uh, you told me, okay, do a Google, uh, Google alert, put his name under Google alert. Right. So the second we stopped recording... And we we're finalizing the, uh, putting the show together last week. Boom. Google alert came up and it was like a brand spanking new update that day. He had just came through a big storm. He rolled three or four times. The water had, uh, now he, he is paddling west to east. Oh, that was east to west. East to west. Whichever way he's oh, going. Oh, no, yeah, west west to east. Cause yeah. he's going from New Zealand over to, uh -huh. to the Horn on South, yeah. uh, South America. So he, he with the rolling, the he had experienced some damage to his uh, his boat, and uh, it ripped off the solar panels on the side where the sun the always sun is. Side. Yeah. So the other side, he still gets some charging on the other solar panel, but it they are the less efficient ones because it is not the direct sunlight. Why doesn't he paddle backwards? <laughs> I guess he could do that. <laughs> Turn that boat around, paddle backwards yeah. all the way to South yeah. America, baby. And he can't get out to fix it because he needs to be docked. And he's still, yeah. he's still, well, he's, uh, he's behind. He was, he wasn't expecting the weather to be this bad. He's done this route before on sailboats and stuff. This guy is crazily accomplished for trips yeah. and routes and mountaineering, mountain climbing. And so he's done it all, right? Anyway, so he, uh, he had a really good idea about where he'd be and when he'd be there. And, uh, I guess he's super far behind. Like he was, he was expecting to hit landfall now on Cape Horn. Yep. And, uh, so he figures right now he's about, uh, 1500 miles behind schedule. Ooh, that's a big chunk. It's a big chunk. Yeah. That's like about a month and a half or so at least. Yeah. He's, what is it? He's doing 50 to 80 miles a day or something. Yeah. Wow. So... Well, hopefully it picks it up and hopefully yeah. things work out for him. Yeah. And he has to, to fix the solar panels because he can't climb outside and fix these at sea, right? Because he yeah. can fall overboard. Stuff. Well, unless a research vessel shows up <laughs> with up what he needs. Him. Yeah. And they hoist him aboard, let him fix it and yeah. then drop him back in, yeah, right? Exactly. 
weirder things have happened. Yeah. I mean, you got to think his his support crew knows that oh, there's yeah, problems, yeah. so they're trying to probably figure out ways to to help him out. They'll have right? solar panels waiting for him for wherever he's heading to. Yeah, I gotta yeah. think so. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, so. Yeah, I got a couple of emails. One of them was from uh, Braxton Barden, who was on our show a couple weeks ago to talk about the lower yep. Mississippi, right? And he said, hey, have you seen these? this guy? I had seen this one before, and I think, like you say, Randy Mitson of Algonquin Outfitters has is, is, uh, tagged him as well. Marcus Pukonen. Pukonen? Pukonen. I don't know. Pukonen, yeah. Yeah, Pukonen. Um, of Roots of Change. Their website is rootsofchange.org. Uh, that's R-O-U-T-E-S of change.org. He's circumnavigating the planet without a motor. That's a Nothing motorized. Trip. So when you go to their, their website, it says, For over three years, I've been using just my muscles and some wind to journey over 30,000 kilometers around the planet. No planes, no trains, no automobiles, not even an elevator. It's like everything is nothing electronic, motorized at all. Okay. Uh, I'm not anti-motor, nor do I think I'm saving the planet. What I'm doing is inspiring the public and students at presentations and connecting with local nonprofit organizations to share their stories and raise support for them. I don't pretend to be a hero or have all the answers to our problems, but I do think I'm part of the solution. And more importantly, I think we are all part of the solution. It's time we acknowledged our immense power to influence and change the world around us. It's fun and exciting to take control of that power. Join the Roots of Change community and let us make epic things happen. So this just started out, you know what, I'm I'm going to go. I'm going to go on this little trip and... So modes of transportation I'm so I'm looking far. at that now. <laughs> I know, right? Paddle the canoe and a few other boats. Okay. Skateboard. Skis. 10 kilometers on a pogo stick through Winnipeg. <laughs> awesome. He's walked, danced, swam, rode a tricycle. He's ran, used a hand cycle, uh, which is the ones you sit on, your feet are out, yep. and then you, you pedal basically with your hands. He sailed, he's rode a boat, he's rode a bicycle, he's rafted, he used a stand-up paddleboard, he's kayaked, and he sailed a trimaran. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And he says, <laughs> as many of the um, non-motorized methods of transportation as he can get, he's going to do. Now, I noticed there's nothing on here about, like, horses or camels. Or, yeah. So I'm wondering if he counts it's... those as motorized. Well, it's not powered by him, I think. Yeah. Just it's... using my muscles and some wind. Yeah. Yeah. So I got, I got to think, because otherwise, you know, like hop from a camel to a horse, to a cow, to a <laughs> yeah. giant lizard, to a yeah. tauntaun, whatever. Um, on the website's main page, if you go to, like I said, rootsofchange.org, there's a big clock and it states, Marcus has been doing this for 1,367 days and it gives the hours, minutes, and, re- and seconds. Yeah. And it keeps clocking upwards, right? As you go. So as long as he's going, it'll keep going, this ongoing clock. There's links to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and his blog. So he left Toronto, made his way across Canada, went down the coast, I guess sailed down the coast to San Francisco, and then across the Pacific ocean to Southeast Asia, and he's currently in Malaysia, but he's huh. done like Vietnam, Cambodia, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. 
you go to the photos on his website and on his Facebook page, and they give you a good look at what he's doing, the people that he's meeting, and he shows the good and the bad, right? Uh, like he ended up with um, an infection. I guess it was, you know, I think, I'm trying to remember, I think it was in his stomach or his back, something like that, where he's, he's having this massive back pain. He ended up in a hospital. Oh, yeah? The IV in his arm. And he's got a picture of his arm with the IV and everything okay. laying down on the bed. Uh, he bonked his head off of a doorway. I guess it was a short door. <laughs> sounds like he's a tall fella. Smashed <laughs> his head. He's got his big gash across his wow. head. His bumps, bruises, blisters, that sort of stuff. But he also shows pictures of, you know, the, the people that he's taught chatting with and all the different people and the, the modes of transportation he's he's taking along the route, that sort of stuff. He's got all the pictures. It's really cool to see it all. Um, so yeah, we're just, I'm just following him, just looking at all these pictures. It's pretty cool. He's meeting a lot of people, chatting with them about, about the organization. Still. There are a lot of grassroots organizations mm-hmm. that he's, he's chatting with to get, you know, and he, and he's, his purpose is to get these groups some, um, publicity basically okay saying hey you know what these are what you got like saving these these children and, and stuff like that and all these other groups there's a whole list of them on their website if you go to their website and at the top there's the little tabs there click the support tab and when under that in that support tab there's another drop down menu and it says change tab if you click that it lists all these different organizations that that they're they're hoping to raise some money for and bring some publicity to and stuff like that uh, there is a donate button there, so you can donate like a penny a kilometer sure. as he's going, that sort of stuff. So he's just trying to raise, I think they, their number was like $10 million. And all that money, because they're nonprofit, all that money is going to all these different groups that they're oh, trying to, that's awesome. to support, right, around the world. Yeah. And I think that's this whole thing. He says, I want this to be our story. I want roots of change to bring people together and to help inspire and create the changes that will help us live happier and healthier lives on this planet. My intention with this project is to make environmental and social justice our story by showing what can be done when we take the one step in the direction of our goals and overcome the greatest challenges. By sharing stories of people around the world who are changing the world with their own two hands. By taking small and substantial actions that will lead us, all of us, to healthier and happier lives. I don't pretend to have the answers to our problems or be some sort of savior or hero for the planet, but I do think I'm part of the solution. And more importantly, I think we are all part of the solution. We all, myself included, underestimate our immense power to influence and change the world around us. It's fun and exciting to take control of that power. Consider asking yourself, what would I want to be doing with my life if I found out I was going to die? In other words, you're going to die don't stop searching for your purpose. And if and when you find it, don't stop pursuing it. Be honest with yourself, choose love over fear, and have fun. The rest will work itself out. This is going to be an interesting project. Yeah, it is interesting. You know, like I say, and he's, he's traveling the world. He's doing all these different things, sailing and paddling and all that sort of stuff, which is cool because not only is he trying to wear, raise awareness for these organizations around the world, He's getting to paddle in some pretty cool places. I know that would be neat, eh? I'm I'm just looking at the pictures, and like I say, he's he's paddling through Malaysia, Cambodia, Vietnam, huh. across Canada, yeah. spots, all that sort of stuff. This is going to be pretty cool. And he's only like he he hasn't even gone halfway around the world. Yeah, he's still got a lot of paddling and whatnot to go. 
I'm curious what drives people to do these epic adventures, right? It's, 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 uh, it's so unusual like to, well, I don't know if he's independently wealthy or if it's part of the money raising to enable him to do this route. But I often wonder is like people that do these huge epic trips. It's like, are they a little bit daft inside or like well, what's uh, what drives well, them? you know like, what it's hey i guess it takes a little bit of crazy to do something like this right i think if you don't get sucked into and i don't want to i don't know if i should say sucked into but if you don't i'm gonna say it anyway if you don't get sucked into the you know gotta get my education gotta get a job i gotta get True. a career gotta get the yep. wife the kids the cars the mortgage the house like yeah. picket fence all that if Fair you enough. don't get sucked into all of that yeah and you're sitting there by yourself, you know, or with, with, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. And you're saying, you know what, what am I going to do? You've got nothing to, you know, well, I got to pay my mortgage. I've got two vehicles to to pay. I got to save for education. You don't have all that stuff anchoring you to that career lifestyle. Yeah. Then go to town. But we see some people that do these trips. Who was it that was, uh, she didn't make it, but she was circling the Great Lakes and she should go down. Uh, Tracy Lynn Martin. Yeah, Tracy Lynn mm-hmm. Martin. So she's a nurse. She's got a career. She's got family. She's got children. And she went, took the entire summer to do this She's got to have trip. a massive support behind You'd her have to, to do that. Right? Yeah. You'd have to. Yeah, otherwise I'm I'm circling the globe for the next five years. <laughs> See you later, honey. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's going to fly yeah. like a lead balloon. <laughs> but you know what? There's even on their website, there's a spot where it's like donate. Um, you've got all these po- PayPal donate buttons. Yeah. Buy me a meal. Ah, uh, got right? it. Yeah. So yeah, he's, he's, and you know what? You start, you start looking at these uh, people that do things like this. And they're relying on the 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 goodness of others yes. to take them in mm-hmm. and say, "Hey, you know, what? I made it to this town." I said, "No, I'm just going to sleep on the beach." And they, "Ah, come on, you can meet my family and have have dinner with us." Yeah. That sort of stuff, right? Yeah, that's. I mean, there's. I mean, look look at uh, Mike Ranta. Yeah, exactly. I was saying exactly of that. the same. So thing. when we when we ch- chatted with him, he was telling us that he would show up and and uh, you know he'd say, "Hey, is okay if I." Uh, you know, camp on your, in your, on your waterside backyard type thing. Yeah. Oh, come in and have a meal. And he'd yeah. have people that would figure out where he's going to be and when he's going to be there. And they'd show up and either bring him a beer or bring him a meal or so he, there was a lot of people that uh, follow and uh, try and do what they can for people doing these epic trips, like cross Canada, like yeah. my granta. And, you well, know, there's so still the, there's still the romanticism about that sort of exactly, thing. Exactly, yes, yeah. You know, and, and as, as crap as things are on this planet, there's still a lot of good people out oh, there. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and they see something like this, and yeah. that's when the good really comes out, right? Mm-hmm. That's when you see all that, so. They're getting harder to find, but there's still lots there's of still, nice what, people out there. One of my favorite sayings, chivalry ain't dead, it's just wounded. <laughs> Same sort of deal, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so, Braxton, thank you very much for a reminder of this project. I'm definitely going to keep, uh, I think we're going to keep following this one and see where it leads to. And uh, I don't know, I, I'd be interested to see what other modes of transportation he picks. Because there's got to be some really goofy <laughs> ones out there too, right? Was unicycle on the list? Unicycle was not on the list, but there was tricycle and bicycle. <laughs> so maybe one of those big old yeah. fashioned bicycles with the big, big, big massive oh, front yeah, wheel. Yeah. And the tiny small wheel. They're making wheel. those again. I saw it somewhere. They're, they're, those are Somebody being made ship again. them one. Hurry up. What yeah. are you waiting for? 
He's got to get out of Malaysia. There's a company that's making those <laughs> things again. He's got to go across Russian one of them bad boys. Penny Farthing, I think they're called. The Penny Farthing bike? Yeah. I don't know. Something like that. Anyway. Sounds interesting. Let's just go with it. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody Google that. <laughs> just assume that I'm right. Just assume that Derek's right today. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, thanks Bra- Braxton for uh, bringing that one back to our attention. Uh, the second person I received an email from, um, I had to look this one up. I'm not sure if it, you know, after you start re- reading stuff, you're thinking, oh, I knew this, but this is because you've read it seven times now, yeah. you know, you're not really sure if you actually did know it or you just exactly, remember yeah. from a half hour ago. Um, so, um, Ian from the Southeastern United States is one of our listeners. And he sent us an email asking, Hey, listen to your, your guys show last week there about, uh, the, the, our Russian fella there zipping across the Southern hemisphere. Have you heard of Ollie Hicks? I hadn't. Uh, did, uh, apparently I'm living under a rock. (laughs) So his email to me is, is I want to ask if you guys have ever heard of Ollie Hicks. Ollie Hicks is a world record breaking adventurer, endurance athlete, and a highly regarded motivational speaker. His expeditions and voyages have taken him all over the world to every continent and ocean. He has produced two award winning documentaries and his record breaking ocean voyages. He is also serving member of the British Army Airborne Reserve. He is currently on an expedition to make the first solo row around the world that began in December 2018. Wow. So apparently I've been living under a rock. How do we not hear about these people? <laughs> I don't know, man. And and we report on stuff like this. And it's it's funny because we do a lot of research. We dig into a yeah. lot of things. And we still, every week, there's something there's new. There's something that new, yeah. It's like, how, how have I not heard about that? Yeah, yeah, I know. So um, Ollie has had, Oliver, I guess this is his real name. And Oliver is friends with Prince Harry. Oh, is he? Uh, apparently Prince Harry went to his wedding. Really? Mm-hmm. So apparently this this is making us look really bad now. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's well known. I mean, this guy was probably Friends like in high on, places. The, on TV and the newspapers and probably. all that sort of stuff. Anyway, he's, has, he's had several extreme kayak voyages under his belt, including a 200-mile crossing from the Shetland Islands to Norway in memory of the World War II Shetland bus operation. Do you know what the Shetland bus operation was? I never heard of it. Hmm. In the footsteps of another wartime operation, Ollie Hicks and Patrick Winterton crossed from the Shetland Isles to Norway in a double sea kayak in 68 hours after an unsuccessful attempt in 2011. So their successful attempt was in 2013. Mm-hmm. The Shetland bus was the nickname of a clandestine special operations group which linked Shetland, Scotland, and German-occupied Norway. The bus delivered and collected Allied agents and saboteurs, as well as weapons, radios, and equipment in disguised working fishing boats. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. So something sneaky was afoot back then. Yes. Going from Scotland to Norway. <laughs> so they did They did that in 2013. Yeah, they did the route. They did the route, that yeah. sort of thing. But the one that got me, because remember... Many shows ago, I talked about paddling around the world. It's actually possible to paddle around the world. Yes, I think you mapped I had actually said, if you zip across to Greenland, up the side of Greenland, the the eastern side of Greenland, 
And then you can zip quickly across to Iceland. Yeah. Around the northern tip of Iceland. You could cross across to the Faroe Islands. Yep. And then to Scotland. Yes. Well, apparently I was not the first to think of that. <laughs> he did it. Apparently. So, the Greenland to Scotland challenge in 2016. Well, there you go. Apparently it's already been done. So this this just gives um uh credence to your credence, plan. That's the word. Credence to your plan. This credence to my plan that I can paddle around the world because now as I followed his trip, <laughs> okay. it will not be me going around the world on this trip. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like a hard route. Uh, the biggest problem would be the, is, is the weather. Mm-hmm. That On their trip, the biggest deal was the weather. And they did this in summer. And there's like these hurricane force gales and stuff like that. And um, Yeah. So it started with a simple question. What if you could trace the strokes of the Finmen, the they were the Inuits from Greenland and beyond, who paddled over 1,900 kilometers, 1,200 miles, from Greenland to Scotland centuries ago. And that was the thing. There's all these things saying there is like these rumors back in the late 1600s that okay. they saw these people going down. These routes are common, open. Yeah, they're no no uh, routes. They would see they would see Inuits in these in these kayaks and they're covered in furs and that fishing and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And no one could ever fi- get to them and find them or they'd boogie off, that yeah. sort of stuff. Uh, there's all these rumors and all these these stories. And so Ollie Hicks and um, he actually had another buddy that is this Patrick, Patrick Winston. Patrick Winterton. Winterton? Uh, Patrick Winston, they said his name was. So this must have been a different Patrick. Oh. And they he was going to come with them. They were going to plan it. But- Patrick had to pull out, so George Bullard stepped into spot. Okay. And they were going to, they said, okay, well, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. From east coast of Greenland, southeast to Iceland, approximately 500 kilometers, around the north side of Iceland, another 500 kilometers, southeast again to the Faroe Islands, about 450 kilometers, and then south to Scotland, another 450 kilometers, all approximate. It meant kayaking through icebergs from country to country, managing conflicting weather reports, working on fishing boats, wading out gales on deserted islands, traveling by container ship, facing frustration after frustration, dealing with strong currents, paddling night and day for days on end, eating wild birds, experiencing hallucinations, seeing dolphins, boiling water between their legs, all on choppy seas. And eating wild birds, apparently. Mm-hmm. Good times. Do they, uh, so this brings up two questions. Well, it's a one question, but in two parts. So do they mention what they did for water? Because nowadays you'd have, there must be some hand-operated reverse osmosis type water. Yeah, well, I know they took water with them. There's only so but much there's water only you can so carry. Much. But if they're, if they're having all these rains and stuff like that, so, they yes. have to have some sort of collection you system. you can't count on rain, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, this was only, what, three years ago. Yeah. There must be yeah. some small two years, two and a half water years ago, purification yeah. system to remove the salt. Yeah. But I, I guess back in the day, back in the age of the, you know, the, wh- whoever you said was. The Inuit, the Finnman. Inuit. So they, I imagine th- now they would have to carry all the water that they're going to have to be, and, and rely yeah. on rainfall. Yeah. Because there was no reverse osmosis you know, like a thousand years ago, right? 
So it's, I'm just wondering what they did for water on these trips. They must have had some sort of mini miniature RO system. Well, especially yeah, especially some of these as we get into this this trip, the amount of time they took too, right? Yeah, because you're if you're constantly paddling, you're 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 burning off, you're evaporating, using up a lot of moisture, right? Yeah, maybe they drank oh. their pee. Well, that brings up another question: How do you pee in a kayak? And you hang your butt over the side. I know. Oh, I don't want to get into that now. Huh. These are the things we think about when we're doing these stories. How do you I, poop in a kayak in the middle of the Denmark Strait? <laughs> so I imagine you could easily, because you, you the, there's recovery and, you know, you jump out, climb back in. There's techniques and stuff like that. But you don't want to be wet, especially in North Atlantic water. Mm-hmm. So they must have... Zip up suits and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> if that's what you find interesting, you need to get out more, well, my friend. It's one of those logistics that you have to yeah. work out ahead of time, right? We got our food, we got our water, we got our trips, we got our maps. How are we going to poop? <laughs> oh, trips off. <laughs> because, because really, like all you got to be, you're one day in when you realize. Or a half day when we realized, oh, Ooh, I hadn't wait thought a about minute. this. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, question. <laughs> Just say I had to poop. <laughs> so you get your buddy in his other, ca- is it a two-man kayak or yeah, two kayak? Two, it's a two-man kayak. Yeah. <laughs> Don't look back yeah. here. I'm busy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude, I can see you from here. <laughs> Boy, you'd have to be really comfortable with a guy. Dude. I know it. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know what? I, they, they must have some sort of system in Obviously, place yeah. and that, that sort of thing. Like, I, I don't know. They, they never get into that in the articles, <laughs> right? We got to start hitting up all these things. So, uh, really interesting how that, uh, that whole thing went. You went from Greenland to Iceland and all that. So question, when you were stuck out in the middle of the ocean for four weeks, uh, where'd you poop? <laughs> Because <laughs> you know everybody in the room is going to be wondering the same thing, right? Anyway, so their boat was a modified Inuk Duo 6.8 meter sea kayak made of carbon fiber, Kevlar on the bottom of the hull for ice protection, and had special cockpit canopies that could be sealed around the cockpits, allowing the paddlers to squeeze into the hull of the boat and rest and sleep. There was also pictures I saw they had these big airbags that filled up to give stability yeah. and it came around to the sides, like the sides of the, of the kayak. Yeah. So they'd fill them up with the water and they were like buoy, buoyancy. So they would allow the, the, them to sleep. Sponsons. Yeah. 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 Well, they, they weren't stuck out to the no, sides but, yeah. per se. They came up around. But yeah. There's, but. And above. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, just it's weird. stability for yeah. rough seas. You give you, give you a yes. chance to sleep. Yeah. And that's exactly what they did. Mm-hmm. So the trip was from July to September, 2016. The first leg to Iceland through the Denmark Strait took 42 hours. They had originally estimated to be about 72 hours. So 42 hours was pretty good. And that would be end up being the easiest part of the three ocean legs and two coastal legs. Okay. That original Greenland to Iceland, mm-hmm. that would have been, they should have stopped at Iceland and said, we're done. <laughs> it's good. We're, we're good. <laughs> The rest of it all saw incredible battles with uh, the weather, which was constantly changing. The first uh, the, the first time they left Iceland, 
the there was the big passage going to the Faroe Islands. Yeah. Clear weather, beautiful, awesome. We're out of here. Hours later, they were miraculously intercepted by fishermen who explained that the window had closed. Serious gales were expected. We cannot stress enough. You do not want to be less than 30 centimeters off the water in meter high seas. <laughs> so, uh, they talk about that later on in the, in this says, but he's, he says, we agonized over the weather. We had three different weather sources out there. You're so vulnerable to squalls. You feel small, but you get used to it. No one can see you, but your perspective changes. Fear levels rise when there's anticipation of bad weather and the seas get worse. You realize you're half the size of the swell, how little control you have. Mm-hmm. Right? Which is, exactly. which is true. Yeah. So for the next four weeks after they made it to across to, to Iceland, the next four weeks they were hopping from peninsula to peninsula around the northern tip of Iceland. And things got, you know, they were quiet at nights because uh, there was land of the midnight sun, right? At and that time of year. That's when at night. Yeah. And, yeah. So everything gets quieter and calmer at night. So that's when they were paddling most of the time was at nights. And then uh, they got a couple of um, gale forces up to what? Gale force, force 10. 10. Holy cow. Yeah. As they, yeah. So they, they were doing their 30 to 50 mile hops mm-hmm. through there. And then they would camp on beaches and marshes and that sort of stuff. And then finally, they get around to the, the eastern side of Iceland and uh, they waited out, waited out. And they said, off we go. And yeah, <laughs> like they're out there hardly any time at all. And the, the winds start up and they're already soaked. After 48 hours, they had only made it 60 miles. Ugh. They were not happy. They had to go 300. Mm-hmm. The second morning, they wa- awoke to flat, calm seas, and this is when the fishing boat showed up and said, uh, yeah, you guys might want to go to shore because you got weather this coming. weather's coming. And they said, nope, you know what? Thank you very much, but we're going to continue on our way. About 10 kilometers, they got about 10 kilometers, and that same fishing boat just came hammering after them and said, yeah, it is getting bad. We're talking hurricane strength winds, 40 to 60 knots. And even the Coast Guard had (laughs) suggested or had requested that the paddlers return. So they thought about it, made a couple of phone calls. One of their, one of their phone calls, uh, weather people that they called said, no, everything should be fine. Huh? The other guys are going, Oh, Hey, look, that weather's changing. Yeah. You might want to hop on that boat. Yeah. Uh, so he made the decision, you know what? Yeah, we, we better get on that boat. They actually worked on that boat for, um, what was it? Six days? Something like that. They, they actually worked on that fishing boat oh, for yeah? six days. Yeah. Earn their keep. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so after six days, they got another break in the weather and off they went. The longest crossing, almost 300 miles across a stretch of ocean, known ominously as the Devil's Dance Floor. <laughs> awesome. One of the Faroe Islands. Yeah, I, yeah, right there again. You might as well th- just call it the yeah. Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> you know, should have stopped at Iceland, buddy. <laughs> You're lost. So the weather was okay pretty much along the entire way. They figured a five to six day crossing from to the Faroe Islands from Iceland. And uh, the fourth day they saw... Um, wow, they made good the time. Land. Yeah, they really did. They really did. They landed on the Faroe Islands 
and uh, they had a very short window, 48 hours, to get to Scotland before the weather changed again. Now, they say on paper it was not such a difficult leg, but in reality it was one of the hardest now that there was closer to seven hours of darkness at night. Oh, right? yeah, that'd be tough. As, yeah, as things were going, so they didn't they couldn't paddle as, as long at night. Second day, the weather improved and mellowed into a flat ocean with hardly any ripple or barely any swell. That's a fortunate stroke of luck. Mm-hmm. They found themselves under a beating sun with the risk of heat stroke. <laughs> That's not one thing. It's another. <laughs> oh, we're going to die of a hurricane. Nope, we're going to die of heat stroke. One of the two. They peeled off their dry suits, and during one of the navigation weather checks, they realized they would not make it to Scotland before the weather turned. And there was another, they had their plan B, to go to North Rona, an, an island 50 miles north of Scotland. So they made a beeline for that. They landed on the island just in time. After two hours on the island, the weather turned and blew a full gale for the next oh, six wow. days. Yeah, they were on the island for like two hours or yeah. something like that. And all of a sudden, and this thing, just everything just opened wide oh. open. And uh, yeah, they were there for six days. They say after six days, it's like somebody just flicked a switch on a fan, just yeah. turned it right off. Yeah, the wind just stopped. Yep. Yeah. And early evening, the swell has subsided that they said, hey, let's go. And that's what they did. They surged along, powered by two well-rested paddlers, because, you know, they had <laughs> six days. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they'd been out 64 days at that point. Wow. So just over two months. So how do you carry that much food? Well, and you're saying even water, right? Yeah. Well, when they were on the islands here. They were like, at that point, they were eating wild birds and stuff okay. like that so, so, to, to keep it up. Um, when they were going from Greenland to Iceland, they were eating seal blubber and stuff like that. Oh, yeah? Just to build it up. Yeah. Yeah, they were talking about that as well. And so night fell quickly. It was inky black. It was a busier part of the sea where, like shipping-wise, there's trawlers and freighters lit up like Christmas trees, crisscrossing the course of the kayak without so much as a clue of his existence. So they could get run over. They could get run they, over. You'd they have careful. to be able to guesstimate the path of the ship that's yeah, coming just yeah. so you can get, get out, out of his way. way. Yeah. And in the morning they saw land, they saw Scotland or 10 miles from Cape Wrath. Um, and yeah, all of a sudden the wind picked up again, right in their faces. <laughs> oh, it's perfect. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it stopped again and they were blue sky, sunshine, and in, they went into the bay where they were meeting every, like their, their final destination and their goal and success was now in the bag. And for the first time in nine weeks, they could relax knowing they would achieve what they had set out to do. Five years of planning and preparation had paid off. Wow. Nine weeks. That's a big trip to do. Yes. Like I, you know, I, I mean, there's risky. pretty, yeah, there's some pretty cool, um, Expeditions and stuff like that. Yeah. But that kind of expedition, that's uh, just not. Not for me. Yeah, it just wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, we talked about doing that if we were, you know, like I say, if we were going around the world. Yeah. You know, go from Canada up up the coast, zip across to Greenland, down the, the bottom of Greenland up to the side, and then make a quick dash for Iceland, Iceland and, and the yeah. Faroe, which is that stretch. Yeah. But I'm only doing that stretch if I'm going farther. Yeah. Like around the world. <laughs> I'm not doing that stretch for fun. Like, no, thank you. But that's apparently what they did. 
Uh, yeah. So, uh, Ian, thank you very much for that little, uh, tidbit there. So apparently now we know who Ollie Hicks is. Uh, <laughs> that's quite the story too. And yeah, he's done a whole bunch of different things there. He's got a whole list of all these different, uh, accolades and, and stuff that he's done. So there's, there's a bunch of them out there doing that, man. <laughs> so, um, the only other thing I think we have this week in talking again about spring and the coming of summer and what comes with summer? Bugs. What kind of bugs? <laughs> the most popular bug on the planet, <laughs> if it's not bees. Yes. If you're not talking bees, yeah. you're talking about this other little bug and it kinds of ticks you off. Yes. See what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about ticks this year. Well, it was, uh, I came across uh, an article today and well, we always kind of hit on, hit on ticks every spring. It's just sort of, it's a good reminder, be aware, you know, to, uh, like I, when me and my wife, we go out with the kids, we always do a full scan of the kids afterwards, right? Uh, just to make sure that there's nothing embedded on them, right? Yeah. Because it's, uh, it takes a while for, it's, you know, there's arguments back and forth how long it takes for the tick to transfer whatever its saliva is into your body and give you Lyme disease, right? But uh, I came across an article today and uh, I found several different sources. And uh, But the end result is, is with uh, normally harsh winters cause a huge die-off for the tick population. But we have had some pretty mild winters of late over the last uh, decade or so. And so uh, the ticks are spreading. And uh, the uh, it, it was uh, Quest Labs and the CDC. So I'm reading reports from the States. They're, it's harder to find uh, tick and Lyme disease details for Canada. Yeah, there's a lot of denial still up here. Yeah, a lot of denial. Yeah. But in the uh, in the uh, map set aside by uh, that was created by uh, the CDC, it shows reporting numbers and stuff like that. And in the Great Lakes region, there's uh, a huge number yeah. of uh, reported tick uh, bitings, and uh, so it. Uh, but what was interesting is how the numbers came out. So the Quest Labs, who do a lot of the uh, so the testing for Lyme disease. They, their numbers, they say, are different than what the CDC's numbers are. And, and it seems like the more common ticks become, the less likelihood of people reporting it to the CDC who tries to track these things. And so it, uh, in California, the, the, this testing lab said their numbers, their numbers are three times as much as, uh, the CDC's numbers for reported, uh, tick, uh, bites and stuff like that. So, and, and reported Lyme disease and, uh, but in the Great Lakes region, the CDC themselves admit that, uh, reporting is one tenth. So if, if they have five reported cases, that's, you know, there's 10 times that number of actual, uh, of, uh, testing for Lyme disease. And so it's, uh, it's becoming underreported, but the numbers are huge and they are spreading there's uh, there is no state now all 50 states have reported uh, Lyme disease uh, reports to the CDC and uh, so when you see the the map and in, in the Great Lakes region it's uh, it's uh, I find it alarming how many uh, reported cases there are along the Great Lakes 
it's uh so you know it's really hard to imagine that uh on the southern side of the great lakes that there's all these uh reported uh lyme disease and uh but you know we don't really talk about it north of the great lakes well i know it's the same thing that was my first comment there when you showed me that map was the 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 u.s side of the great lakes that is a massive concentration of ticks yes so now there's spots over on the coast where you see the big concentrations as yeah. well. So my theory is it's got to have something to do with the water. So let's drain the Great Lakes. <laughs> I saw your comment on that. <laughs> we'll just drain the Great Lakes and that's got to be it, right? Yeah. Stick <laughs> problem solved. You're welcome, people. Uh, yeah, there's. It's it's really, because when you're looking at the southern side of like Lake Erie and stuff like that, there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of smaller towns, mm-hmm. but there's no big massive populations through no, there. No, there isn't. So why is there so much tick activity, like it, reporting? Yes. And they did stipulate that the, where they, uh, where they center the report, where they say uh, the reporting is from, it's where there, it was, it's where the tick, uh, the Lyme disease was reported, not necessarily where it was contracted or where they got bit by the tick. Yeah. So they don't track where the source was. They track where the person reported it, which would be their home state, their hometown or whatever. Right. Yeah. So that was another interesting aspect. They're, they're tracking reports and not, you know, maybe the person was on a vacation out in California, came back and discovered they had Lyme disease. There's, so they don't track that kind of thing, but the, the numbers are alarming. It's, uh, the, the, spread of ticks is growing as we have milder and milder winters. And, uh, so they're, they're saying that this problem, this issue is only getting worse. They said the, uh, in the States, they estimate the, uh, the financial hit to uh, GDP and for, you know, financial losses because of people off work and whatever they estimated it around, uh, I think it was 760 million, $768 million a year in the U S. Wow. So that's, that's, a, that's a huge financial loss, right? Yeah. So it's in the grand scheme of things, it's not, you know, a lot of money, but if you think about it, there's seven or $68 million worth of unearned wages because people are sick. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, it just, uh, goes to show, man, when you're going out there nowadays, you got to make sure mm-hmm. you're covered and there's just Google your different types of, uh, protection. What's that spray? Panor, Panothin? Parathin? Oh Parathin? yeah. I bought a bottle of it. Permethrin. Permethrin, that's it. Permethrin. Yeah, I know it started with a P and had a three yeah. in it. Yeah, uh, I, I bought yeah. a bottle of that this year. You know, you put that on your clothes, stuff like that. Make yeah. sure your your pant legs and cuffs and all tucked that are in, tucked in and elastic or yeah. whatever. Do, do whatever periodic you can. checks to make sure you're clear yeah. of ticks. So you get... Same with your animals. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't your furry little family friends, you can't uh, ignore them they, because the last thing you want is uh, is your uh, your dogs or your cats getting Lyme disease, right? Yeah. You don't really hear much from about cats, but dogs, it's common. Well, just, dogs are more outside. Yeah, than, they're more yeah. of the, yeah. Running through the woods and stuff exactly, like that. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, awesome, dude. Awesome. Uh, anything else this week? Uh, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. I think that's it, man. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and 
You can find our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Player FM, Google Play, and all your favorite podcasting sites. <laughs> you can also stream or download from our episode page on paddlingadventuresradio.com. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Braxton and Ian and uh, everybody that's helped with this week's show. Because apparently everybody's helping now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Spest. We'll see you next time.